This is a Whole Observatory podcast. Hi, and welcome to Star Stuff. I am Cody Half Moon, and today we're joined by Maddie Mooney, our writer. Hi, Maddie. Hi. And we have a really special guest today, Julie Johnson. Thanks for joining us, Julie. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. We are going to be talking about, well, astronomy in poetry. Uh, well, Maddie and I are English majors. Julie, what was your your background? Yeah, so I in college, I majored in creative writing, and then I also have a master's degree in creative writing. But I also studied anthropology, and I also have another master's degree in library science. Man, that's a lot of school. It is. Yeah. yeah. No, no more. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like we'll definitely have to edit this podcast down to less than an hour because yeah. I know Maddie so and I can talk about English. Talk about. Yes. I am so excited to feel in my element on this podcast. <laughs> I know. I know. Finally, our time is here. Yay. So just I'll give a quick bio and then Julie, let me know if I missed anything. Okay. Uh, fill in the gaps here. But Julie Swarstad Johnson is a poet and writer who lives in Tucson, Arizona. So our neighbor. She is the author of Pennsylvania Furnace, as well as the chat book. What's a chat book? It's like a half-length poetry book, so they're oh, usually nice. like under under thirty-six pages. Awesome, chap book, jumping the pit. She holds an MFA in creative writing from Penn State, nice, and has served as artist in residence at Gettysburg National Military Park. And you were our artist in residence, or I guess we called it poet in residence here at Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff. So yes. can't wait to hear more about how that went. Yeah. <laughs> No, me. I wish I was back there. I know. We miss you. I didn't get to see you while you were here, but I heard great things about your week. Was it a week or two weeks? It was a residency? week. It was probably like nine days, but yeah, I was there like a awesome. uh, Sunday to Sunday. Awesome. Nice. And you are the co-editor of Beyond Earth's Edge, the poetry of space flight with author Christopher, Co- is it Kokinos? Yeah, you got it. Coquinos. And right now you work at the University of Arizona Poetry Center. So did we miss anything? No, that's great. That's awesome. Okay. So uh, yeah, let's just really quickly, just to tie you in here with Lowell, tell us about this poet in residence. How did that get set up? I know you're hanging out with uh, Dr. Michael West, who's a wonderful writer, very romantic in his language. Yeah, no. Uh, so it's it was wonderful to be there. So I was at Lowell uh, for a week. And the way that that came about is um, I'm working on a book about, I, when I talk to people, I say most broadly, it's a book about the night sky. But in, more broadly, it's about um, the night sky, uh, astronomy, light pollution, and all of this is kind of experienced from a human level perspective. Um, like, what does it mean to be on the ground and to be disconnected from the night sky in the way that um, most of our society is? So I've been working on this book um, maybe for a year and a half, maybe two years. It's all kind of blurred together. But I was really hoping to have more of an astronomy component in it. And so I started looking for opportunities to be at an observatory for some time. And so it was challenging just because when I started thinking about this, it was the end of COVID or the end of like the worst parts of COVID, like when it was really not possible to go places. But with Lowell, I found that I had a little bit of a connection there and that person was really kindly able to connect me to Michael West. 
he ended up just being the perfect person to work with. His own experience as a writer and also like doing residencies in some places, he was just like an enthusiastic supporter and cheerleader. So I, I'm really grateful to him for setting up that week for me. That sounds like Michael. <laughs> selfish question because I totally went down a rabbit hole because when I learn a new word, I have to know everything about it. Yes. Um, (laughs) So chat books are, I had never heard that in my entire life. So I looked it up and the definition is a small pamphlet containing tales, ballads, or tracks sold by peddlers. So I'm imagining like a Victorian or like an old timey street. And there's like a peddler with probably a really thick Cockney accent who's like selling (laughs) chat books to people and it's just like this delightful little book of like stories and it it sounds wonderful and I can't believe I've never heard of it as a concept. It's a very poetry specific thing. I mean like what your that definition is like the historical context for it when I think it was a little little bit broader Mm -hmm. but in kind of contemporary use it's really poetry that's kept that alive Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole range of of, broad, of um, chat books that can range from like really handmade things to like much more polished by like famous writers. So, but it's it's one of my favorite forms. It's really nice to sit down with something short that you can just kind of enjoy quickly. And of course, I had to look up the etymology because that I'm an etymology <laughs> nerd, and I love that it is connected to the word chap. Yes, <laughs> yeah. old English. That's great. A little chap with his little chap book. Yeah. Little chap. <laughs> so cute. So I know this isn't. You, you have a lot of um, books under your author belt, but, you know, you kind of talked about how you were, you know, co-editing this book, Beyond Earth's Edge. You wanted some more astronomical, like, insights and perspectives. And that's an interesting look into what it takes to put a book like this together. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Like, I know you said, like, a year or two, it all blends together. So I'm sure it's a huge process. But what is that like? No, that's a great question. And just to clarify one thing, so Beyond Earth's Edge is a collection of poetry by different people. Mm. So that was something published. I probably finished working on that one in 2019. Um, And so that one was just bringing together poems specifically about space flight, space exploration, kind of across the full history of that uh, from Sputnik all the way to the present. Um, The book that I was working on while I was at Lowell Observatory was, uh, is a new book. It's not published yet. And so it's just my own work. And so it's, I'm calling it for right now, the night season. And Ooh, that's pretty. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So p- kind of prior to the pandemic, I, so I went to library school from 2019 to the end of 2020. And just prior to that, I had been working on, when I was at Gettysburg as an artist in residence, I had started a, a project uh, writing about Christian pacifists during the American Civil War and just the experience um, in that context. So I had finished a, a series of poems related to Gettysburg, and I wanted to write a full book. But then I started grad school, and then uh, the pandemic hit, and so everything just kind of uh, was on pause or just kind of I felt like I couldn't keep going with the same project. Out of those early months of the pandemic, I started writing a series of epistolary poems or uh, like poems in the form of letters that were I didn't intend for them to be about the night, but the more I wrote, the further I got into the sequence, the more I realized that the night and darkness was the unifying theme. So mm. from there, I just kind of, uh, that kind of kicked off the whole project. Yeah, that's, that's so, awesome. and it's interesting because, you know, obviously the beginning of the pandemic was horrible and terrifying in so many ways, but mm-hmm. like it, it was also an oddly good time for creativity because 
the world had come to a screeching halt and mm-hmm. most a lot of people were just stuck in their homes and I started making music during that time, which is something nice, I yeah. probably never would have done. So yeah, just kind of a interesting silver lining. Yeah, which I think at the time I didn't feel that way. Like it felt like a period where I was really just kind of flailing. Oh yeah. Um, but by <laughs> the end of it, yeah. by, by the end of like a year of like, working oh. on it, it was like, oh, there's a thing here. Yeah. So like we can all know. relate, I think. <laughs> yeah. Art art is truly born of suffering. So yeah. yeah. So did you always have a goal of writing and publishing your own books uh, when you got into creative writing, obviously, or um, just because I know as an English major myself, there are so many tracks you can take when you start that path. Yeah. Um, Again, a great question, which it's interesting to kind of try to think back. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think I started writing poetry maybe in in like in earnest in junior high. And it was Mm -hmm. something that I just loved to do. I mean, it's like kind of imagine bad junior high school poetry, um, that I have like notebooks of this stuff. Um, and I hadn't really intended it to be a career or something that I was going to pursue in a, any kind of major way. Um, but it was just, it's always been the thing that I have kept doing or come back to. And so it was really going to uh, grad school at Penn state that focused me more on, on writing a book and publishing a book. Um, cause that's really what that MFA master of fine arts experience is all about. Uh, it's just like focusing, mm. creating your first manuscript and kind of learning the process of what it is to put a, a book together. That's amazing. Yeah. I know I, I took a few of those obviously as well, like a few of those class type classes. And it was like, so interesting to sit in those intro classes because the person next to you wanted to do like uh, ghost writing. Uh, another person wanted to do movie script writing. Another one wanted, wanted to be a playwright, another, a poet. Some of them were just like, I want to be an English teacher. I, this is, you know, a class I need to take. So it's really interesting. I don't think many people realize how, like, I don't know. I I'm biased because I was an English major, of course, but it's amazing how many paths you can take. Like, Definitely. Yeah. It's a broad field. And I think both like what, what each of you do really demonstrates that like you can do, you can end up in a lot of different fields, doing a lot of writing to a lot of different audiences, um, or working with a lot of different kinds of people through English. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you and I were chit chatting before we started and Cody had to make a stop because we were going to run out Spoilers. of content. <laughs> Just kidding. That probably will not happen on this episode, but we were kind of talking about how the perception of English majors is that it's kind of, I, I got like useless degree or yeah. are you planning on working at Starbucks for the rest of your life? Which I mean, yep. Starbucks seems like a really Do good Do you like being work, a waitress? So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, you know, the, the age old, oh, so you're going to be a teacher, which, you know, like I have mm-hmm. crazy respect for teachers. And I also know that that is not the path for me. Right. Oh yeah. I could never do it, but Horrible. people don't realize like, Every, any company that exists needs to exist online, which means they need mm-hmm. a website with words on it. They need social media, which also involves words and communicating with people. Yeah. yeah. And it's, 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 it's all cool. essential. And it's like, I think people underestimate how much, um, you really have to have like good, good writing, good communication skills to do that effectively. Mm-hmm. It's so cool um, too. Like I, I never really thought about that, but, um, of course, when I, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I'm only in my thirties, but there wasn't really a lot of talk about online writing and like 
copy and the, of course, social media wasn't really a word that anyone used as far as like marketing in 2007. But um, as far as like it goes to businesses and stuff like that, like what are you going to like a business is going to have a MySpace? No, that's not going to happen. But it's interesting. It doesn't matter. It just like it's still it just continues to be prevalent and communications and creative writing and expressing really cool things creatively because like I know at Lowell, I mean, our marketing team is basically a team of science communication experts, right? right? And we have to find creative and fun ways to get people engaged in, um, to get people engaged in science and in what we do at Lowell. So, um, but I think also like your poetry does that as well. Like it gives people an excitement and a new perspective into um, the night sky and your, your perception of it. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, I was just thinking that with, I mean, science communicators are so essential. Sometimes I kind of imagine like if I wasn't a librarian, um, what would be some fun jobs? And science communicator is one of them. Um, because it seems like it's this balance of um, understanding technical information and communicating it well, but also knowing the limits of like what's going to make sense to people Mm -hmm. um, or what's going to be interesting. And that's definitely what I found with writing these poems, especially from the time at Lowell, is that I took a lot of notes. I tried to understand a lot of technical things. um, And some of the earliest drafts of these poems, I was like, they were not very interesting because I realized I was just trying to explain to myself uh, what I had learned. And you, I think at some point you just have to realize that you don't need all the technical details. It's like, what is the, what is the overall story or what is the overall point that you're trying to convey? And what did you get at Lowell? Like, what did you learn? What, what helped give you a different perspective? So talking with the astronomers was by far uh, the thing where I learned the most and also just had the best time. Um, they are all, they were so generous, so kind, um, and just so excited about what they do. Um, And so the people I probably talked with the most were uh, Michael West, um, Amanda Bosch, Gerard Van Bell, and um, Audrey Thierwin. And they were all just really generous in telling me about what they do. Like Amanda Bosch, for instance, pulled out, uh, uh, I'm going to get the the word wrong, but it's like basically the graph of when the rings of uh, Uranus were discovered, Um, the actual just like light tracks, but that she was so excited that she was like, come see this huge roll of paper to understand like how this was discovered. So that was the kind of things that I found most helpful was people just sharing their enthusiasm for the very specific things that they do. You have to love the enthusiasm of nerds. (laughs) (laughs) What you said about um, just writing as if you were explaining it to yourself, that was something I ran into really often when I first started in my position at Lowell because I was pretty much fresh out of college. I didn't take a single astronomy class and I will probably kick myself for that forever because that would have helped me so much. But anyway, I really had no idea what I was talking about. So I would do all this research and kind of try to regurgitate it into my copy as quickly as possible before I like forgot the details. And you know, yeah, it was kind of boring. I was like, this isn't like I'm reading over it as a person who isn't super into astronomy and it's boring and I need to figure out how to repackage this in a way that gets the information across but doesn't 
regurgitate it. Right. So it's a really interesting balance. And I'm getting to the point now where I just know things, which is really cool. And I can just pull them out. (laughs) It's the interesting balance, I think, too, between I think you have to do that research work or have done the work to make sure you really understand it Mm -hmm. before you're able to distill it into that kind of simplified um, or not simplified, but just like focused sense for somebody else to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what actually I did in oil and gas because I was a writer for a magazine um, in the oil and gas world in a previous life. And I mean, the stuff that I know about like <sighs> PSI and drilling <laughs> and all of that stuff, and it's just, it can be very dry and, and, and like difficult to sit there and stare at, you know, lengthy scientific papers and try to make something beautiful out of it. Uh, especially in my opinion, especially when it comes to oil and gas, yeah. but as as, uh, I mean, we did it. It was, yeah, we did it. Um, but with astronomy, it's, you know, of course the more that I, I, I learned, cause I've only been here about a year. It's, it's so easy to make, this particular science, something romantic, relatable, Mm -hmm. inspirational, just because humans have been doing that forever. Right. Right. Yeah. And also just figuring out the ways to, for me, or I I guess what I've been thinking about in writing these poems is I don't want to use the things that I learned while I was there. I don't want to use astronomical concepts just as metaphors. I'm really interested for what they are, um, Mm -hmm. kind of where they the, the imaginative pathways they lead me on. Yeah, That's like awesome. s- space is just naturally so beautiful. It's like you don't really even need to project the artistry <laughs> onto it. Like any picture you see, like the pictures that just came out from the James Webb telescope, that, yes, it yeah. just looks like art. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. And then so. it's visually captivating, but then also as you start to learn like the distance that you're looking at things and the time scale and just how much – we can, we know so much and we know so little that that's, I think that's what really pulls me in. And how incredibly teeny tiny we are in yes. the grand oh scheme of the universe. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, terrifying. it's very existential just on, on its own without having to really wax poetic about it too much. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what, what style is your poetry in? Good question. Yeah, I I guess I would describe it as um, it's often lyric poetry. So it's kind of in the moment, um, kind of in a lyric moment. So a moment of somebody reflecting on something uh, something rather than um, telling a story. Um, Although I also have written a lot of narrative poetry where it it is telling a, a sequence of events. Um, my, my earlier projects, the, the full-length book, Pennsylvania Furnace, um, was about 19th century iron industry in central Pennsylvania, um, which was just like an excuse for me. While I, while I went to Penn State, I needed a way or wanted a way to kind of learn more about where I was. Um, and it was a really important iron-making region. And so that book has a lot more narrative poems in it um, from the perspective of people that I researched. Um, and the, the work that I did at Gettysburg is similar in that sense. Um, but yeah, with these new poems, I'm trying to think about ways to, out of that lyric moment, using some kind of, uh, not always, but sometimes using forms, so a specific structure to the writing, uh, trying to use that as a way to express information, express scientific concepts, um, but also reflect on what they mean. Yeah, and I loved, um, we got some of the, the poetry you sent over, uh, Psalm 8, which 
you know, it does almost like sing as you read through it. That's good. Yeah, that's the hope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so pretty. Uh, And we've got more than that. That one really stuck out to me, though, because, of course, the first line started about the moon, which is (laughs) our favorite near and dear to our our hearts. Favorite. Yeah. Yeah, that poem was interesting. Um, That was the poem that I wrote. uh, And really, that's probably my first space poem before even the night, the night letters uh, later on. Um, I wrote Psalm 8 for Beyond Earth's Edge, like as my contribution to it, um, because I didn't have another space poem to contribute as the editor. Mm-hmm. And um, so the book is kind of divided into different time periods or different uh, types of exploration. And so the this was in the, the robotic explorer section, so robotic missions, and nobody had really written or I hadn't really found poems about recent uh, recent missions or recent exploration. So that was kind of what what brought me to, the, to this poem. And it's one that a lot of times I struggle with a poem for a long time. But this yeah. one, like the way the way it is, is almost exactly the way the first draft was. Um, and I think that oh, was just okay. because I've been reading so much of other people's wonderful poetry, putting that book together, <laughs> that it had mm-hmm. just it was like the outcome of like two or three years of of reflecting on other things. Yeah, I find writing is always like creative writing is always easier when you've immersed yourself in reading creative writing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you mentioned Pluto. So thanks for that. Yes, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. New Horizons right. is a favorite. Pluto's a favorite. Yeah, yeah. Do we, Cody, do we have time for Julie uh-huh. to do a reading of any of these? Would you be okay with that? Yeah. No, I'd be happy uh, to. Do you want just... to read Psalm 8? Because it's seriously, it's so pretty. It's so beautiful. I mean, no, thank you so much. Yeah, I would love to. Um, yeah, I printed some stuff just in case. So Yes, awesome. All right, so this is Psalm 8. If you let it, the moon will tell you your smallness. Fragile creature on a tilted planet, facing the open darkness while the sun burns on beyond your sight. We have so long now denied that we think we are the center, the Copernican sun firmly anchored in the sky we swing through. But I write to you as one who knows her own heart. So I say to you, blessed is the wild distance of the night, the gauzy light of nebulas reaching us long after they're gone. Blessed are the asteroids, those fragments of the beginning which we did not create. Blessed the spacecraft that goes to bring a peace back to us, the origin of oceans may be written in its dust. Blessed, too, those machines that go without thought of return, the glimpses they send back of worlds we thought we knew. The opalescent whirls of storms churning on Jupiter, liquid pooled deep beneath the south pole of Mars, faintest sunlight kindling Pluto's peaks of ice bright as sacred flame. Blessed all the universe beyond us, and we who hunger and thirst to know it, shadowed on the earth, calculating the trajectories of light. Yes, snap. Beautiful. Oh my God. I am so jealous of your imagery. Like, wow. Oh my gosh. I know. And I'm glad that you read it because now we can like just talk about it and the audience kind (laughs) of knows what we're talking about. Right. Um, I actually have a few of these just like highlighted, I guess. Um, So when you wrote this, you said that you were reading a lot of other poetry and it just came to you. pretty easily, which is surprising to me because it's just such a beautifully curated. I mean, some of these, these were, these words that you use are so descriptive. I love the like almost personification of the spacecraft that go out. 
Yeah, that was what I, and you know, I, I do really love those robotic missions. And um, it's interesting the way that with a lot of those, there there's a little bit of personification or a little bit of anthropomorphizing just because um, these machines are getting sent out in our place and they often kind of take on those human roles of, of seeing mm-hmm. and experiencing and they become very personable. And it had this like lonely feeling too, like yes. it's saying like <laughs> oh, they're I've not coming back. over the deaths of Mars rovers. Like yes. I, yeah. and, and like the, the, the science, like the, oh my gosh, what are they called? The people in the control room are attached to these rovers as well. Cause like they've spent years like monitoring them and getting communication from them. And yeah, it's, I, I totally understand the anthropomorphism of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. Cried. I'll cry again. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love the. It says like those machines that go without thought of return. Um, it's yeah, and it's so because you know you think of the vastness of space, and there is like a lonely feeling there, but it's also awe inspiring. And I feel like there aren't a lot of, um, there are not many things in nature that feel that lonely, just because we're so the Earth is so full of life. Right. No, that's a really so. good point. Yeah. And I think like with the the web, the image that just came out, the deep field, um, looking at images like that or images from Hubble, part of why they're ama- amazing is that you see so much or there's so much life in a small space or so much yeah. going on in a small space. Speck of um, sand, but, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but then knowing about how far things are apart um, mm-hmm. and even just thinking about how far away the Voyager uh, probes are from us at this point that it's like that's it's hard to even contemplate and how hard to contemplate how far they'll go before they get to something else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like how the poem kind of goes from I mean not small but smaller between like the earth and the moon um, and how we're so small even compared to the moon because I, I think mm-hmm. we've all had that moment where we've just stared at the moon for a little too long and we start to realize that nothing really makes sense. <laughs> There's just a giant rock that's floating around our planet. And that's just, it's it's always been that way and it always will be. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of pan out into like the deeper reaches of the universe. And yeah, basically just echoing what Cody said that it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Well, and the science behind it too, because there's also like the... The space of time, um, say the the gauzy light of nebulas reaching us long after they're gone. So mentioning that, of course, like the light that we see is so old. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, it, it's what we're seeing doesn't even exist anymore. Right. Right. Which I think is so hard to understand and is one of those really like mind bending, amazing parts of thinking about the universe. The first time someone told me that someone from a, a a point, of course, a certain distance away from the Earth would look through a telescope at the Earth and see dinosaurs. I was like, no, no, that doesn't <laughs> make sense. You have Stop. to lay down <laughs> for a little out. bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's both beautiful and overwhelming. Yeah. It, it and is. We yeah. think we know so much about how things work as humans. And I, I think every now and then it's healthy to remember that we have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> That was something that um, Michael said to me, or Michael West said to me a few times during while I was at Lowell, um, was just that, which I really appreciated because all of these people that I talked to are just insanely knowledgeable, um, so smart. And um, he was talking about how there is so much that we know, but there's also a lot of things that there's a ton that we don't know and that we might not ever be able to know. Like it's just kind of beyond uh, the capacity of what we can understand. And I appreciated that 
humility or that way of saying you can love the things you know, but you can also be okay with what you don't know. In the name of it, um, Psalm 8, is that in reference to the biblical Psalm 8 about the king of creation or? It is. Yeah. Um, So yeah, uh, scripture is something that's important to me or something that I'm, it's just part of my experience of the world. Um, Both the, yeah, just the, both the Hebrew, the Hebrew Old Testament and the Christian New Testament. Um, But I think that at the time I was writing this, I had been reading a lot of Psalms and um, what was mentioned earlier, that kind of zooming out from small to large, that's Mm -hmm. something that happens a lot in the Psalms. And so I think that's where some of that structure came from. But yeah, so Mm -hmm. that's just kind of like a music, I guess, that's underlying uh, just how I approach writing. Yeah, so that actually leads into another question that I had, which was, where do you draw inspiration from? So would you say that kind of like biblical or religious motifs show up in your writing a lot? They do. Yeah. No, I mean, so the, uh, like my um, faith is really important to me or it's kind of a core, it's very much a core aspect of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something like biblical imagery or kind of echoes of um, the language or cadence of, of scripture show up, uh, show up a lot. Um, and that's one of the things where I think about um, just knowing that a lot of people are not familiar with that, or it's not going to be something that they get the reference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just trying to figure out how much do you have to explain and how much is it just kind of, if you get it great. And if you don't, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But so that's one thing. Um, I, I really think of poetry as my excuse to, to learn about everything or anything I want to. Yeah. <laughs> so I love to just like dive deep into something. And so like with my earlier projects, I focused on these kind of obscure, but very specific historical moments and just learned so much. I mean, I could tell you if you want to know uh, all about iron making in central Pennsylvania, I, I can tell you so much, um, or I can tell you a lot about uh, Christian pacifists in the civil war. But so, yeah, they're just things that I'm interested in and poetry kind of gives me the excuse to just dive really far in. And so that's kind of the same thing with this project, thinking about astronomy, thinking about the night sky. Um, it's something that I've always been interested in and that actually that was sparked by a visit to Lowell observatory as a kid. Um, oh my gosh. In, yeah, no, I know. So I grew up in Phoenix, uh, so we were not far away, but I know my family came up and we went on a tour. Um, and my memory is that with the the Clark telescope during the tour, they asked if anyone wanted to push the button to move the dome or move the telescope. Mm-hmm. And I was like, absolutely. I want to do that. And that <laughs> moment just like cemented space for me in ways that don't make sense. But, uh, it was, it was a transformative moment. That's so I had, I don't know why I, I was just wondering, like when I was writing out these questions, if your inspiration came from a childhood experience or a childhood visit to Lowell, yeah. which is, you know, I mean, I, I can't believe my parents never took me here. <laughs> like, yeah, no, yeah. I barely Thanks, even knew what was here. <laughs> I had to find it on my own. But anyways, yeah, that's, that's wow. amazing. Not really. So the residency must have been that much more exciting to you then, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, it was really, um, I have a fondness for Flagstaff in general, just from um, time spent there over the years from various family members going to NAU, or uh, I spent a lot of summers at NAU band camp. So Flagstaff in general has a lot of appeal, but Lowell is just a special place for me. 
um, because of that experience. I, I think like through most of middle school, I had a lull um, patch on my backpack. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. And I, th- I also had a poster of the, the Clark telescope that was in my bedroom for a long time. So. Oh, what a nerd. We love you. I, know, yeah. <laughs> so I, may, I may not have gone into astronomy, but it was all, it's always been something that I've been interested in. That's awesome. It's amazing to see the kids when they're, so now, you know, as of 2019, we have the Geovalley Open Deck Observatory up on the hill. And it's with the, I'm sure you saw it, right? With the six advanced telescopes. Um, And actually, when I was at Lowell for my interview, I was hanging out with um, Dr. Adams, who runs our department at the Goto. It was like at midnight and there were still like, or maybe it was like 11. We were there well past midnight, gosh. But uh, it was so crazy. And I knew like this is where I wanted to work because of like the kids looking through the telescope for the first time. And you could tell like, I mean, seeing it as an adult is inspiring. But then you see there was this little girl freaking out because I think she saw maybe it was like the rings of Saturn or something like that. (laughs) And she was just like, oh, my gosh, I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. I can't believe I saw this. And it's like every time you walk up there and a kid looks through a telescope, you don't know you know, how that's going to change their whole life trajectory, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the evenings that I was there, um, I went up to Godot just to, to see, like to look through the telescopes, just to see what they were looking at that night. But also I found it was really interesting to listen to the people that were there. Um, Mm -hmm. and just the kind of questions that people had or the things that they were excited about. Um, and also just the really wide array of people that, um, were able to just be so interested in this thing together. I I think I just cry a lot at this stage in my life. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Same. But yeah. Same. I one of the I think it was kind of towards the beginning of when I got hired. Um, and I was going around looking through the telescopes to kind of familiarize myself. And there was a family from I don't know. They they were from a city. I think they mentioned it in passing, and I don't remember, but a place where it's smoggy and you can't see the stars. And the mom like broke down because just looking at the stars, because you can see so many of them up on yeah. Mars Hill and she'd just never seen that many stars before in her life. And like her, like her kids were kind of making fun of her, but like I was just, you know, creepy yeah. uh, <laughs> eavesdropper in the background, like tearing up too. Cause I was just right. like, this must like, I, you know, I, I grew up in Tucson and you know, it's not, it's not Flagstaff level dark sky, but like you can still see a good bit of stars. Right. Um, I just can't imagine never, seeing them you know (laughs) or like thinking you see a star and it's a helicopter right um no I mean and that's a big impetus for what I'm writing is thinking about how I mean light pollution and how much um huge huge amounts of the population are really disconnected from the night sky and how much like for most of human history it's been this vital landscape it's been part Mm -hmm. of the world that we know um it's been this marker for time and all these different things um, I did get to talk to um, Dr. Adams, your boss, while I was there, and she's about cu- cultural astronomy, oh, um, yeah. and that's very much we nerded out about the um, <laughs> references in poetry and just the way that um, this knowledge of the sky is just this innate part of human experience up until now. Mm-hmm. So to kind of change gears, um, have you had any mentors um, throughout your life that have inspired your writing? Yeah. Um, so the my two professors in graduate school were definitely the people that um, really shaped me or that um, 
yeah, that shaped me that kind of through their writing or just the way they were as teachers and as people. Um, so my, uh, the person I worked with the most there is named Robin Becker and she's a wonderful poet. Um, and she was just so, she's so inquisitive. She's so smart. Um, she made us think about, um, syntax and just really like high level things as we were writing these poems. Um, and she's also a great asker of questions. So I think that really has informed both my writing and just the way that I read other people's work. Um, just trying to appreciate it for what it is, but also being able to ask questions that relate to what it's actually doing. Um, so Robin, huge influence and just a wonderful person. Um, the other person is a writer named um, Julia Spiker Kasdorf, also wonderful. Go find her work. Um, she thinks about a lot, most recently, about documentary poetics. Mm. Um, so poetry that, what it sounds like, poetry that's documenting something that is um, looking at a specific moment and preserving it and presenting it through the lens of poetry. So her most recent book is called Shale Play, and it's about um, fracking in Pennsylvania. Um, but so I'm really inspired by her um, commitment to uh, digging deep into things, commitment to um, sharing information through her writing, and just kind of having this, uh, I keep saying deep connection to places, but that's that's really, like, that's one of the big themes for me. Um, she She cares deeply about where she is and um, the people in the land. It's amazing yeah. what an effect a really good inspirational like professor or teacher will do in your, you know, what yes, you really yeah. get into yeah. at those transformative ages. I know I really wanted to be a poet uh, and I dropped out of my poetry class after a month <laughs> because my teacher was <laughs> just not it. Um, yes. Yeah. And no, I, always, matters- I always think about that. <laughs> It matters so much, like how somebody engages with you and like being both, I think one of the things that's most important is both being able to offer direction or, or some kind of feedback that helps you improve, um, mm-hmm. but also being really encouraging and, um, yeah, just being encouraging and not kind of putting down what people are doing. Yeah. Like my, the first, uh, person I can remember like in my childhood who really inspired me to pursue writing as like a thing that like it could be my thing if that makes any sense at all was yeah. my middle school writing teacher Mr. Johnson mm-hmm. he he would he would have all of us uh participate in NaNoWriMo you guys oh, ever heard yeah of? yeah it was like the junior version of it and okay, I nice. if I were forced you probably could not force me to read this like if my life was on the line it was a vampire <laughs> novel that I wrote and it was probably so angsty and edgy and just (laughs) awful but and I'm sure Mr. Johnson realized this but he recognized that I had like a really good voice like I knew how to just to set up scenes how to describe characters and he told me like this like you really have a talent for this like you should keep at it like I want you to finish this book like probably in the back of his mind, like, even though it's horribly cringy, like you still, (laughs) like you got, you got the spark. And like, I didn't really think anything of my writing skills before that. Like, I didn't think I was really anything special. Um, But he, I stood out for one reason or another. And that was really a pivotal moment for me with my cringy little (laughs) vampire novel. But that's, that encouragement meant everything to me. Yeah, it really shapes how you understand yourself or how you can see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always yeah. wonder if I had a, a like a creative writing teacher in my childhood that would have sort of nurtured that. My my mom was my 
inspiration for reading. I read, I mean, I was reading Nancy Drew novels my first grade. I was obsessed with nice. reading. I read yes, everything yeah. that I could. Yeah. Um, I'm not that Nancy Drew was like higher level reading, but still it was like, <laughs> yeah. I was just obsessed with reading. Yeah. You got to start somewhere. It's, it's amazing what educators will influence, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, just shout out to my influences of that age. Like I think I think I went to a poetry workshop at the public library that was just like a an evening oh. thing once. And I couldn't tell you the name of the person who ran it, but he was mm-hmm. so enthusiastic and so creative and just invited us to do really interesting things. Um and then I think that same year my my like homeroom teacher, Miss Fout, um, when we did poetry, I was just like, this is the best thing. And she let me keep doing it even when everybody else moved on. So, Aww. yeah. So those are encouraging, enthusiastic mm-hmm. people. I think teachers need to hear that these days. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You do so much teachers. <laughs> yeah. And even just the little, like the things that people latch onto that are like the moments where teachers probably like, you know, that was a weird day or what, why was I talking about whatever? But it's like, that's the moment that maybe got a kid excited about whatever. Mm-hmm. I love that the Clark was a part of that for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yay. And that's, that's what's so cool working at Lowell is that it's like, I mean, I, I forget, I mean, you know, we talk about our history a lot, but I really do forget how long the observatory is, has been there and what it means to so many people. Like I, I, I somehow barely knew about the observatory until I was in college, but like you mentioned Lowell Observatory to people and they get so excited. They're like, oh, I went there when I was like seven years old or like it was a field trip. And it's it's just really cool to know that it's it's so important to people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was something I really or that I really respect about Lowell um, is that combination of like incredible research, like meeting the people now and just knowing the history of what's been done there. It's like fabulous, like incredibly high level important research is being done there. Um, but there's also this, uh, like deep commitment to, uh, public outreach and, and bringing mm-hmm. the public into this excitement. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's, it's not that maybe not rare, but it's like not many places do that really well. I feel like um, it's usually one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's like some level of like exclusivity to the research or like the non-public side of it. Like, I, I feel like we're really good at sharing that with people and letting them look behind the curtain yeah I think and it's it's just really cool to be associated with that and shout out to Maddie for writing for writing about all that I yeah again I'm kind of a one-trick pony like I can't math science uh remembering anything involving numbers at all can't do it Mm -hmm. but you you need me to write something I I got you So your book that you were working on, uh, or you still are working on, I'm assuming, when you were here at Lowell, uh, can we pre-order this this book? Is it available anywhere for pre-order yet? I know. So it's very much in like a nascent form. Um, Actually, before, uh, until like just last week, it wasn't in any kind of, um, it was really just a collection of poems, mostly in the order that I wrote them. Um, But at the encouragement of a friend that I exchange writing with a lot, um, I sat down last week and just laid all the poems out out on the floor um, and started putting them together like as a manuscript. Hmm. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to do that because it's 
in one sense, I can look at it and go, wow, there's like a book length amount of poems here. And then other moments, it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much that has to get cut or that I would add or um, that could change in this. So uh, look for the night season or whatever its final name is like a year or two from now. But thank you for asking. Yeah. <laughs> in the meantime, we'll definitely plug um, the things that have been published. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which includes Beyond the Earth's Edge. Um, I'm guessing, is that available on most of the major platforms or is it? Yeah. And that's, so that was published by University of Arizona Press. Um, so okay. yeah, through them or through like anywhere you find books. Cool. All right. We will definitely have a link for that on our Discord. Okay. Can oh, yeah. can tweet one as well. The reviews are amazing too. Like, big kudos um on that book it's obviously it very well received and we will put a link to where our listeners can read that one through thank you so much yeah yeah, and we hope you'll keep us posted on your new book when we can buy it and tell everyone else to buy it (laughs) and be obsessed with it (laughs) no thank you yeah i'll definitely do that and yeah it's it's interesting to work on a project where Um, hopefully it's sooner rather than later, but it's also like, you just never know when it's really going to be done or when it'll make its way uh, out into Mm -hmm. the world, but hopefully not too long. And where can our listeners follow you online for these kind of updates? Yeah. So uh, my website is just my whole name. So it's julieswarstadjohnson.com. Um, so probably just better to put that in the show notes because it's a lot of letters. Um, <laughs> I'm occasionally on Instagram, although not too much anymore. Um, and there I'm Jay Swarstad. So it's S-W-A-R-S-T-A-D with a J in front of it. Um, but I really haven't been on there that much. It's been kind of a moment of like pulling back from uh, social media. But I do try to keep the website updated. Um, I have a really tiny mailing list that I might email you like once a year if you sign up for. Oh, okay. um, so like very low key. Uh, if you don't like email, which I don't, it's a really nice, it, it hopefully will be your kind of uh, listserv. Yeah. If you have a link uh, where we could sign up for that mailing list, I'll definitely yeah. Is it I'll just sign on the up website? for it. Yeah. It's on, it's the bottom of the main page of the website. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll link Perfect. all of that. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad it's fun to talk about um, just English and and thinking about like literature and writing as a way of engaging with the world. And if anyone wants to like get our Discord link, it's so where you can find all these awesome things that Maddie's going to update you on. It's uh starstuff You can find the links to our Discord channel and our Twitter and all that fun stuff. Yeah, please follow our Twitter. Our Twitter is lonely. We need more yeah, friends so on Star Twitter. Stuff pod. <laughs> Star Stuff Pod. Um, we'll post updates and behind the scenes stuff. Uh, we have had some fun interactions with Twitter users. I feel like most of them are, are comfortable on the Discord. So definitely join that. Yeah, one. no, the Discord is a, has been a really good place for conversation. Cool. So thank you. Thank you so much. Julie for joining us and talking about your poetry and reading a little bit of it. That was amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's really a delight to talk to you and just I'm so grateful to everybody at Lowell um, for the experience that I had and just hope to um, communicate that well through what I'm doing. Yeah, come come back back anytime. Yeah, (laughs) I hope to. (laughs) Love to have you. This podcast was made possible by our members and donors. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu slash donate. Thanks for listening.